What I'm going to preach about tonight is what I want you to fast and pray about this week. So what we're going to do is just ask you, if you'd lift your hands, how many of you would take one day this week and fast and pray about the challenge that I present in this message? Would you do that? Raise your hand. All over. And I will do that myself. Praise God. This has been by far the quietest Pentecostal service I've been in in a long time. Now, it does not alarm me. Because one has to be the loudest and one has to be the quietest. I've just lived for God long enough to know that, you know, there is, where there is power, there can be noise. But where there is noise, there's not necessarily power. You have to keep that in mind. And I ask God for a special service tonight. A special service. And I want to challenge you, and I just want to read one scripture, and you may be seated. In John 15, 5, I'll be reading other scriptures, but while you're standing, I just want to read a portion of a scripture. I am the vine, ye are the branches. I am the vine, ye are the branches. And I want to talk about the fruitful life, and you may be seated. Now at the conclusion of our message tonight, you will bring up your CCC commitment slips. Praise God. This this little passage of Scripture... Just in prayer this week has just brought new meaning to my relationship with God. I think there's some things in this that I need to point out to you. Boy, did we ever have a good time at camp, didn't we? I mean, God moved and blessed. We heard so many exciting stories about missions. We heard so many exciting stories about the work of the Lord in other areas. You have to understand one thing. The old saying, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, is really true. I mean, it always sounds better when it's coming from some other place. God's been doing some great things here in Madison. And sometimes you can become a little discouraged by saying, how come I can't do this where I am? There are people that spend a good portion of their life roaming around. Uh, There are others who spend a good portion of their life sitting around, tuning in television programs and radio programs about what's happening all over. They don't do it for the sake of building a fire, but they do it because they feel that it's just happening other places but can not necessarily happen to them. I can truthfully say, brothers and sisters, if I've ever had a desire to be used of God, I want to be used of God now. And when I say now, I'm talking about in this service right now. I believe God has something special for you tonight. Something special. 
So I want to speak from the very depths of my heart. Not necessarily just preach, but talk. You know, Jesus, upon several occasions, cried out. There were other times which the Bible says he lifted not his voice. Uh, the, the needs of people are met in so many different ways. Uh, when, when I look at this, uh, this passage of Scripture found in John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Right away, uh, when the word taketh away is mentioned, I, I get serious. My thinking turns in a very serious vein. I don't think there's anybody in this church that can laugh and have a greater time just socializing than I can have. I have fun in life. And there are times in which if my, if my soul depended on me being sober, I'd have a hard time being sober. I, you know, just every now and then things strike me funny, and I don't care what you do. I mean, if you came up to me and told me your husband just passed away, I might have a hard time not laughing. Uh, and the reason it's not because I'm laughing at that; it's just that I, I, I just I have fun in life. But there are other times in which everybody else can be laughing, and I get serious. And I get real serious. I'm serious about what I'm speaking to you about tonight because the Bible says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. In other words, if you are in a dormant state in your relationship with God, you are jeopardizing your whole relationship. That's a serious thing. We have quite a few people out of town tonight. We have some people that are just sitting around town. They could be here. They're not here. They're always crying the blues about why things are not happening. It's because they're in this dormant state. Or maybe I should say stage. Hopefully there's a stage. Stage is something you go through to another. Uh, hopefully... It won't continue to be that way. But to be to think about losing out with God is a sobering thought. I mean, that's a sobering thought. I do not count uh, my life with God as being successful as far as, as being on fire with God as to how often I talk in tongues or how often I feel the Spirit to the point of dancing or shouting or whatever. But you have to look back and see how productive have I been. So we get, get the CCC slips. This is, this is no small matter. Bringing a friend to church is no small matter. Sister Rowe has her friend with her tonight, and it's so good to have you. When I drove up and I saw the yellow van... And saw you coming inside. Somebody brought a friend. It was not easy for this friend to come to church. 
I mean, it wasn't easy, as easy as it is for me. And I do appreciate so very much Sister Roe bringing this precious friend, and I appreciate you coming to the house of God tonight. Bringing a friend is no small matter. Teaching a home Bible study is no small matter. You see, you can get so tied up in life and the cares of this life. There's something that will take your time. When God looks down, His priorities certainly are not like ours. Things that matter to us, they don't mean much to God. They really don't. I am convinced that God blesses us with a lot of blessings that really don't mean too much to Him. They mean a lot to people, but they don't mean much to God. This business of being always conscious of people who need God and making this contact, this is how the kingdom of God is built. It's not built upon people who just for convenience sake will occasionally witness to someone. When I say for convenience sake, there are people who will come and ask you about God. I remember in 1961, I was working at R.G. Letourneau in Longview, Texas. We built heavy earth-moving equipment. And I was needing someone in the office there, and so... My employer told me that he had hired someone, and when I looked at the application, it was a dear friend of mine that I played football with in high school. I wasn't living for God then. And I was, I was amazed when he walked in there. I could not believe it. Now, since our separation from each other, the losing of our relationship with each other, because I had graduated from school, he was a year younger than me, um, I just hadn't seen him, and I'd given my heart to God. Now, he was a church-going person. All the while we were in high school, he had good, solid, sound principles. I was kind of a renegade. <laughs> and I'm sure he, he, he uh, dreaded coming to work when he heard that I was going to be a supervisor. Because, you know, he was, a, he was the kind of boy that just did things right. Clean cut, nice guy. All the swearing, jokes and everything. He was the kind of guy that just kind of stand there and blush. You know, you, you weren't going to get him to participate in a lot of that mean stuff, business. But I remember after coming, him coming to work, how I wanted to inform him that I was changed. And I begin to pray and seek God about it. You know, you just walk in there. You don't want to say, hey, Eddie, I'm changed. His name was Edward. We called him Eddie. He didn't particularly like it. He liked to be called Ed. <clears throat> you know, when I was a kid, they called me Johnny. I didn't like Johnny. I liked John. When I got to be a teenager, I just hated Johnny. Were you ever called Johnny for the Brunker? You didn't like that, did you? Did you? John Repka, were you called Johnny when you were a little kid? <laughs> did you reach the age in which you didn't like it? Yeah. And you still don't like it, do you? 
You still don't like it. <coughs> John Eckenrod, would you call Johnny? You didn't like it, did you? Oh, he, well, he's got such a good attitude. You can call him, everybody can call him Johnny right now, okay? He's an exception to the rule. But for the most of us, you know, John Gamander, did you like Johnny? Nobody called you that. Boy, how did you escape it? I can't believe it. Anyway, people call me Johnny. Then my grandmother started calling me John Wesley. Well, my mother only called me John Wesley when I had done something wrong, and that was quite often. So I heard it. So I had an aversion to that, too. John Wesley. See? At any rate, this guy didn't, didn't like Eddie. He liked Ed. So I made the mistake of calling him Eddie a few times. I could just see he grit his teeth, but he was kind enough, and we were men then. We were young men, but we were men. I mean, you know, 21, you had to be 21 at that time before they considered you to be a man. It's 18 now. But <clears throat> our world has matured a lot, so we mature people a lot faster. <laughs> but at any rate, <clears throat> I made the mistake of calling him Eddie. And I could just tell he just grit his teeth like, don't call me Eddie. But he didn't say anything. So I was praying for a way to, to witness to Ed. I remember one day we were we had to go out in the steel yard. We had our own steel mill, and these big hot slabs would come off, and, and, and but some of them would cool off. And before they got real cool, we had to go out and walk across some of those things. And you had to check to make sure that the soles of your shoes seriously would not burn. And you know you're out in this beaming hot sun. Now, this was a terrible job. And we had to lay out some things to make sure that the plate was big enough and measure it. And, and then we had soapstone we'd put on there, and the, we'd take it inside then. And in the fabricating department, they would cut this with a big torch. You know. So Eddie and I had to go out there and kneel down on this plate. And as we knelt down on this plate, he made a reference about hell. You know, he was a conscientious boy. And he says, Oh, I'll tell you, John, I sure would not want to go to hell. I wouldn't want to die lost. And this opened the door for me to really talk with him. And I told him, I said, You know, Ed, I've given thought to this all my life, but it's only been recently that I surrendered my life to the Lord. And so I began to talk to him about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When I talked to him about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God got a hold of his life to the point that he literally shook. And then he stopped and asked me. He said, let me ask you something. How long has the Pentecostal church been in Henderson? He still lived in Henderson. I did too. I said, oh, since I was a young boy, probably 11 or 12 years of age. He just, just silence came across. He didn't say anything. He bowed his head for a long time. 
He looked up at me and said, I've felt something today that I have never felt in God, ever. He said, but let me ask you a question. <clears throat> he said, I can't hold you personally responsible because you say you've only been living for God a short period of time. If the Holy Ghost is so great, then your church has been around since I was a lad. How come I'm a grown man before I hear about it? He said, you know, John, some of our buddies are dead. I didn't know what to say. I wept and cried with Eddie. It's no small thing, you know. You think about all the people that died, lost without God. And then to think that some of our own precious people are not productive. And they sit in this area of being judged, purged, cut off. When your children get wayward, you need to fast and pray and seek God like never before. This CCC business is not just a program. It's not just something that we need to consider. It's something we have to consider. It's not just a good plan. It's the work of God. We're just trying to keep track. <clears throat> you know, when I see this, I in this whole passage of Scripture, I find three conditions basically, of the fruitful life. Number one, cleansing. Verse two, it says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That means he cleanses it. Why? That it may bring forth more fruit. See, it's not the best you can do. It's the best that you can possibly become. Because Christianity is not designed for stalemate conditions. In other words, you just reach this impasse when nothing can be done. It's not designed to be that way. It's always forward progress. It's growth. God can do exceeding abundantly and above all that you're able to ask or think according to the power that worketh within you. Now, let me give you a new revelation of this scripture. That simply means that as years pass and you reminisce, you cannot believe that God would have been able to bring you from where you are to where you presently are where you were, rather, to where you presently are. You look back. I, I was amazed, you know. I'm the superintendent of the district, and to me, it's just another job. It's a, it's a big, big job. It's one that 
Quite frankly, quite often it just kind of gets me down. You know, I was at I was at camp and the choir was singing. I went down and sat on the front on those altar benches, and there was a brother that I just he scooted over and I sat next to him. I was just sitting there worshiping the Lord. I turned, looked at him. I said, "Aren't we having a big camp? I'm in a great camp." He, la- I mean, he just smiled and he laughed. And then you know what he did? He started crying. I thought something was wrong. He said, "You just wait till I go back home to my church and tell all my friends I sat by Brother Grant." <laughs> you know, I mean, that, I don't know what to say. I said. I said, you wait till I tell all my friends I got to sit by you. He smiled real big. You know. <clears throat> you know. I said, I mean, it's no big deal. I mean, being a superintendent's no big deal. But yet when I look back and I see, the first thing I did after I gave my heart to God that had any responsibility, I taught a primary Sunday school class that had Two students. Two. And they were brothers. Two little Nance, Nance children. You remember those Nance boys, Sister Grant? I mean, Sister Rutherford. You remember those, Sister Grant? Two little boys, just. And all I did was I just, they gave me a book and I just read from the book. It must have been boring. It was boring for me. I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it. But they didn't have a Sunday school teacher, so they gave me this quarterly. The teacher manual said, go in there and teach these kids. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't just saved. I went in there, and I just read the quarterly. Every time they moved, I said, don't be moving. I'm, you, know, <laughs> you know how it is. You know, Everything is so sacred when you first get saved. I said, listen. This is the word of God, boys. Don't be moving. Those poor little guys just sat there. This hot Sunday school class. I would not let them move. I'm serious with you. I wouldn't let them move. Now we were in this class about an hour, and it just must have been, it must have been torture. I don't think they couldn't have gotten anything out of it. But but that was it. But God can do exceeding abundantly and above all. If you're bearing fruit, he says, it's not enough. It's not the best that you are. It's the best you can possibly become. However, if you don't do your best every day, you certainly cannot progress beyond that point. That's that's the way it is. So the, the cleansing, the cleansing, the three conditions of the fruitful life, the cleansing, The second condition is abiding. The third, now that's found in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. And then the third condition is found in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. In other words, keeping the commandments of the Lord. Now what I want to do, I want to talk just a little bit about cleansing, a whole lot about abiding, and a little bit about obedience. Cleansing. We were grafted in to the vine. 
That's what the Bible says. We were grafted in. I don't know if you've ever done any grafting before. I tried it. I was not very successful. I worked for the Texas Forestry Service for some time, and we had to go and do all this kind of stuff, plant trees and do some grafting. Maybe some of those branches that I grafted in are still alive. I don't know. But uh, it was not easy for me. But I, I know that... Uh, I know that being grafted into or born into the body of Christ takes a tremendous amount of cleansing. You know that? Because the old man, the old carnal man, must digress back to a psychic zero where life begins. And there is so much fight in so many of us that when we begin to lose our identity and lose our life, let me, let me just put it like this. I baptized a young man several years ago, and the first question that he asked me before he was baptized, he said, will I lose my identity? Now, he had long blonde hair, almost down to his waist, ponytail, and uh, he was into drugs and a few things like this. And I, I told him the worst thing I could possibly tell anybody. I said, well, every man in the Scripture was known by his personality, Peter and Paul. And he kind of got this big chest feeling, you know. Like, oh, I'm still going to be who I always was. The best thing I could have told him. See, he's not living for God today. And he always had a problem with his ego. The best thing that I could have told him is, yes, sir, you will digress back to a psychic zero and you will melt into the body of Christ and lose your identity. That's what I should have told him. But I didn't. Well, it is true, we all have our personalities. It is also true that our personalities are so blended together that God can use us as a body and also as an individual so as the show is never stolen by one person. The emphasis is always on Jesus. And even though we do have different personalities, our ultimate goal is to glorify God and magnify Him. And there is a tremendous amount of cleansing that needs to take place. You see, we're not redeemed with corruptible things as gold and silver, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, the 14th chapter, verse 9, that His blood will cleanse our conscience from dead works. This, this is a powerful, powerful scripture. I, uh, I appreciate the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says, Hebrews 9, 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The living God. When we were baptized, doesn't Paul, I say Paul, doesn't the Scripture tell us, I guess Luke wrote the Scripture, Acts 2, 38, Peter was speaking though, 
that baptism is for the remission of sins. We know that when we're baptized, that something hidden takes place. We come, we go down in the water, dry, we come up wet, but it's not H2O that takes care of the sins. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is called upon us. The name of Jesus identifies the blood. The blood is applied by the Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews. And it is the blood that is applied by the Spirit that takes away our sins. So there is that conditioning. But some people feel that that's just kind of a one-shot situation. That the blood takes care of everything. And all of you young people, listen to me. If, if you prayed through at camp, that's great. But don't forget that it was just, it's just as important for you to pray through tonight as it was last week at camp whether Brother Grant stresses it the way Brother Jones did or Brother Haney did or any other preacher did. In other words, it does not lose its importance because mom or dad or Sunday school teacher doesn't come and remind you every day. See, and that's, that's the thing. And I think God purposely allows a man to go a few days without hearing it. And the reason, you know, he doesn't, in other words, he does not have some guardian angel standing over you every day reminding you, thumping you on the ear and say, pray through today now, pray through today, pray through today. You may not always hear that still, small voice. But you are cognizant of the fact that you need to do it. And if you know you need to do it and you don't do it, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. And it just works that way. If you're home sick for, for two or three weeks, and that happens sometimes, and especially to, to, to kids who are in school, they get strep throat and other communicable uh, diseases and such. I mean, if, if that happens to you and and you're not in a chapel service, and you're not in a prayer service, you know you need to pray anyway. It's just as important to pray through when you're homesick as it is when you're in a chapel service or whatever. You follow what I'm saying? And if you are bearing fruit, please understand He's still going to purge you, and it's still going to be necessary for you to receive that cleansing. The man who lay hands upon a, a hundred people and they were all slain in the Spirit needs to cleanse himself. What did Paul say when he talked to the Corinthians about speaking in tongues? You know, he... He, he talked about this. This was such an important issue about, about speaking in tongues. You see, when you speak with another tongue, you edify yourself unless it be the gift of tongues. Isn't that true? Yeah. And, and he talks about it's better to edify the body. And then, of course, he goes on to say, well, it, it is really better that, that I speak in known words than unknown words. Isn't that what he says? He says, it's, it, Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding 
that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. In other words, it's better for me to, to speak known words and edify you than edify myself. But he concluded by, by saying this, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. In other words, it is true that it is better for me to edify you than myself. However, I cannot edify you if I have not received edification for myself. But let me receive that outside of your presence. Because when I'm doing this and you're around, it's doing you no good whatsoever. But I need it. I need it. And there's not a person under the sound of my voice that does not need to pray through today or tonight. You haven't already. You need it. You need it. You need that purging. Now what I want to do, I want to talk about abide. This is the the, the real part of my message that I want to stress because this is, this is the part that, that just fastened itself on me. In verse 4, the Bible says, Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in me. In other words, when I look at the word abiding and I got to really looking at this and looked at it in a relationship in which it is taught here in the Scripture, the best that I can describe what Jesus is saying, just like an unborn child is connected to its mother's womb by the umbilical cord. This is also true of a branch as it is connected to the vine. That its total life, existence, sustenance, and everything is determined by the strength of that connection. Recently on the farm, we've had a couple of animals to be born. One was a, we had a little foal born back in May. And the vet came out, and the vet wanted us to save the placenta and everything. and stretched everything out. Looked at this. And it was amazing how she, when she went through this. Now, this is what he's receiving from his mother. And recently we had a little calf born. Right after birth, we realized that it was not nursing its mother. Of course, I had to go away to camp, and Brother Rick Wells came down, and, and uh, we finally got the vet out. We found out it was blind. The little calf was blind. And uh, what had happened was that it didn't get proper antibodies in time, and disease came in and affected the nerves in its eyes. But we found it in time. I was just looking through the... To the, through the binoculars and noticed this big cow and I, I said her udder is so big the calf cannot be nursing so we, so we went out and, and we found this little blind calf I didn't know it was blind see I thought it wasn't nursing and, and so it just didn't know how to to get milk from his mother and uh, Jeff Rossing and Sister Grant and I got down there and and, uh, you know, we got some, we milked this cow, got milk on our hands, and I went up to a little, we named this, uh, I'm going to tell you the name of this, don't, don't, don't be offended, uh, Sister Huber, we named our calf Bonnie, okay? <laughs> Just a, a darling little heifer calf, and 
get this milk in, the, in our hand. And I went up and, and I put my finger in, in Bonnie's mouth and let that milk run down between my fingers. And finally she, she started sucking. And she'd suck my fingers. I'd take her up to her mother. She didn't know what to do. So we, uh, we just kept this up and kept this up. And finally we got her to, to nursing. And we were so happy about it. Well, we had to leave for camp, and we got, I got her up in a, in a pen. And uh, we'd call the vet, and the vet says, well, there's really no hope for her, I don't think. And, but uh, she continued to nurse, and she was doing good, but she just couldn't. She didn't know where she was supposed to find the milk. So she'd go up to her mother's neck. Some of these big old Angus cows had these big briskets. You know, they're kind of like me, you know. Anyway, she'd go up to her, her mother's neck, and she'd, she'd start sucking on the long hair around her mother's neck. And I, I then got to look in her eyes, and her eyes were turning clouded. And then I noticed her one day, she walked right into a fence, and I said, she cannot see. So we, we got the vet out. Our brother Wells got the vet out, and the vet said, well, she's blind. She can't see. And he gave her a shot, Brother Wells did, once a day for five days. And I'm happy to report that it cleared up and she can see. She knows, you know. But I had a little manual and I got to reading about this. And it, it was talking about the development of this calf inside of its mother. It's totally determined. Its shape, its size, everything, its mentality, everything is determined by the life of that mom. And when the calf is born, they said, don't cut the umbilical cord. Let the mother worry about that. She'll take care of this. Because right after birth, there are huge gushes of blood that's got to flow through into that calf to give that calf the proper antibodies before that calf nurses on its mother. You know, the first few days of nursing, it's colostrum that they take in. It's just full of antibodies so that these things do not attack that little, little babe. And when I, when I was reading this during camp, I, I got to think about my relationship with God. You see, I'm, I'm a branch. And, and while, while he's not talking about the calf or the child or any other mammal connected by an umbilical cord, it is really the same. That, that you're, you're connected in there. And, and, and everything that you get is coming right out of God. Your total sustenance is coming out of God. Now, when I begin to think about this as a Christian, you know, I in other words, what he's saying is that, that God never cuts you loose. You never walk around as an independent. Sometimes the longer you live for God, the more independent you become. And that's not the way it is. Sometimes you think, you know, I can just cut myself off and go do what I want to do. And the Bible says, oh, not so. So when, when I look at this, you see, because God is holy and God is pure, 
And because I'm connected into God, just like a child is connected to its mom, then if there's anything that's in me that that's, is hindering fruit from being produced, because that's the ultimate goal of the tree, is productivity. If there's anything in me that's stopping it, it must be judged, purged, or taken care of. So that simply means no known sin in my life should go unjudged or unconfessed. Whosoever hideth sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth sins shall find mercy. Do you understand the extreme delicacy of this relationship? That if you or a diseased branch with unconfessed sin that you will be purged and cut off. You know why God has to cut you off? Because the purpose of the branch and the vine is for fruit. You may think, oh, I thought I came to Jesus because I didn't want to burn in hell. Well, there's a much bigger, bigger scope involved than just your soul, my friend. And it appears to me that in this relationship we find in God, that selfishness, see, it is very selfish for a man to want to be saved just so he won't have to burn in hell and not care about somebody else. That is selfishness first glance. It has no place in the body of Christ. Now, you may have come to God because of that, but you found out later on that you were swallowed up in a cause that's much bigger than Dan Capaccio. Or Jane Braceman. Much, much greater. So no known sin should go unjudged or unconfessed. Listen to this. Because that I am connected to God and God is holy, there should be no interest in my life that's contrary to the interest of God. Now, I'm getting down close to where you live. Now, you know why the Bible teaches holiness? Do you understand that now? There should be no interest in my life that's contrary to the interest of God. I said, now, God blesses you with things that don't mean much to Him, but they're not contrary to Him. You follow what I'm saying? You may have your hobbies and everything, they may not mean much to God, but they cannot be contrary to God. Anything that's taken time away from you so that you cannot pray is contrary to God. Because you see, the truth of the matter is, if He is the vine and we are the branch, the connection then between the the vine and the branch. What's holding us together? You know what's holding us together? What's holding us together is our communication with God. You follow what I'm saying? And when you break communication, you cut the umbilical cord. 
Now listen to this. If he is the vine and I am the branch, I should have no lifestyle that cannot be shared with God himself. You think of that. In other words, what I wear, can this be shared with God? Does this bring glory to God? Does it? Because you know, I've taught excessive ornamentation for a long time. What I put on my fingers. What I cling to my body, does this take away from God? Or does it add to God? You understand what I'm saying? This is so important that we understand this. It's so important. No, I'm going to get real close to your living. You know the reason why that ladies don't have to paint their face? Because they do not have to be, living things do not have to be preserved. Because it is sustained by what they're connected to. You paint boards from trees that have been cut down. They've lost their connection with the planet Earth. I'm serious with you. You don't have to paint your face any more than you have to go out and paint your goat. Your goat does not need paint to survive. Now you think about that. Down in East Texas, we had a couple of old hick farms in which the farmers went out and painted all the trees. They painted them up so far, they whitewashed them. It was the tackiest looking thing you've ever seen in your life. Do you think that whitewash on that tree is going to preserve that tree? No, my friend, because that tree is connected to the ground, built into that tree, is everything that tree needs to survive. There's an outer There's a skin called the bark that preserves that tree against weather. You can always walk up to an old tree and tell it's an old tree. Why can you tell it's an old tree? Well, age just has a way of telling on itself. And even when they paint their face and put on all kinds of makeup and everything, you can always tell if the person is old. But the paint may disguise how old you are, but it does not help preserve you. I don't know why I said that. Want to put it in. But that's the reason why the Bible teaches against it. So I can have no life or lifestyle which cannot be shared with God. Now, Lord, I want you to go over to the bar with me tonight. You and I are going to drink. Have a good time. The truth of the matter is, in a relationship like this, almost everything that the branch receives, it first comes through the vine. This is the reason why the roots grow out in the ground. 
And sometimes we want to bypass God and collect a whole lot of things for ourselves. What we do, does it pass through God? Can it be shared with God? An abiding one takes all burdens to the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? An abiding one takes all burdens to God. If a deformity is being is made, if it's if it's progressing, if it's starting in a branch, the branch does not have the ability to take care of it. I wonder how many of our problems could be solved if we really did depend on God. The abiding one draws all wisdom, life, and strength from God. Am I reaching you tonight? Am I talking to you tonight? See, God's laid a few things on my heart that I want to share with you and... uh, Boy, I appreciate prayer meetings. But I tell you what we need to do. We need to turn more of our prayer meetings into real seeking of God. Now, the best thing you can do to complement the public prayer meetings is to have a good prayer life outside of the public prayer meeting. Follow what I'm saying? In other words, someplace in a clause of prayer, you're going to have to get down and you're going to have to say, Now, God, now I understand the value of corporate prayer and I understand, but I need power with In other words, you need intercessory time with God in which nobody's laying hands on you, shaking your head or whatever. Now, those times are all right. But I do know that when I walk in there and I have a deep burden to to pray for somebody or whatever, and I I want to get an intercessory prayer, when I walk in there, invariably, somebody come over and lay hands on me. Now, when I'm in deep prayer, I don't like people lay hands on me. Well, I can't control what happens in there. That simply means then I need a prayer life. I mean a red-hot, fervent prayer life separate and apart from that pre-service prayer, early morning prayer, altar prayer here, in which there's I can shut myself into God. Now, when I say early morning prayer, a lot of you come over for early morning prayer and lock yourself in various places of the building. We don't have corporate prayer then, so I should I should exclude that. Okay, I should exclude that, and I will, because many of you prefer to come to the church and pray, and you and you can do it alone. I'm not against laying on hands. I, I do believe when Paul tells Timothy, "Lay hands on no man suddenly," that he was say saying. Don't just at random go around just because it's a it's the thing to do to get a hold of people and shake them and lay hands on them. But if there's a directive of God, you see, that's that's a different thing. Because you can be hindering some people more than you're helping people. Now I may be chopping some of you right down to to the nub tonight, but 
I'm serious with you. If you know of a brother that's discouraged or somebody that needs help or whatever. Now, let me just say this, okay? I'm, I'm into this too deep. I can't get out of it without explaining it, okay? That happens every now and then. In other words, <clears throat> you see, when we're all praying together in corporate prayer and we're all jumping up and down and encouraging everybody, we need that. But it will not take place of that deep seeking intercessory prayers that we need alone with God. That's basically what I'm saying. And I will go a step further. If we have people that say, well, I'd rather not come to prayer room because people lay hands on me. Well, then use the prayer room for a time in which you build yourself up in God and encourage yourself with your, with your brothers and sisters of like precious faith and find yourself a place in which you can seek God alone. See, when I'm seeking God, we talk about the purging, when I'm seeking God about my sins and my weaknesses, and I have to do that just like you have to do that, why? Because I'm a human being just like you are. When I'm doing that, I prefer no one, not even my spouse, to hear what I am saying. Now, you know, if I stood up here and told you that every now and then I'd say something that I shouldn't say that it's untrue, you don't have a problem with that. Because you do that. But if I'm on my knees telling God I've been a liar today and you hear me telling him all that stuff, it wouldn't set too well with you. Now the reason why that some Christians never fare too well is because they want to visualize themselves as being much greater than what they really are. And every revival that this world has ever known has come out of deep confession and sharing of one's innermost being with God. Just as a teenage boy, I guess I was taller now when I was a teenager, but as a teenage boy, I went to a meeting. And one preacher was singing this song. Uh, I, I just don't rem I don't remember the song, but I remember the, this verse. He said, in this low and sinful state, just a little while, just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait, just a little more labor in this low and sinful state. He stopped and said, hold it a minute. He said, this song makes us all feel like we're sinners. He said, we're not sinners. So he had us all to sing in this low and sinless state. I still remember. It was in a fellowship meeting or a youth rally in Kilgore, Texas. And he said, listen, if you can't live above sin, 
you're not one of the redeemed. Now, it impressed me. But the problem was that it's not scripturally correct. And could I tell you that this minister fell from God into an act of adultery? He's, he's struggling, trying to live for God today. If I called his name, Brother Sister Rutherford would know him. Nobody should ever make himself to appear more saintly than what he really is. But revival comes out of humility. You see, he draws all of his wisdom, his life, and his strength. Now, the last point in this abiding in me, and this I'll probably have to, I will have to close. It's getting late. Nothing should ever be allowed in the abiding one that would jeopardize his union with God. In other words, if you do anything, say anything, or live any lifestyle that's contrary to God, that will sever your relationship with God. Can you survive? Can you make it? I went by a farm the other day and I saw a large limb broken off of a big apple tree. Somebody propped it up and made a little scaffold there, some scaffolding to hold it up. Apples are beginning, you know, they're up so big now connected down but there's just a little bit now <clears throat> basically if you went to that farm and said why didn't you cut it off he'd say well maybe this year we can get some fruit off of it it'll have to go next year it can't it won't last it's just connected by the skin of its teeth so to speak church I just want to make this plea. If you anyone here, if you're if you're minutely interested, I mean just the least bit in being saved, please heed to this message. This is coming out of the Bible. I say it's coming out of the Bible, right out of the Bible. I don't want to make it sound so hard to live for God that people just give up before they ever try. But I will say this. If you're having struggles, you need to listen to me because the key is in the connection. Don't break the connection. Oh, God. Now, Lord, I love you. I have other things, Lord, that I need to say. But perhaps some other time I want you to do a work right now in the Holy Ghost. Lord, you know that young person 
just hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Lord, you know that businessman that's become so busy he can't pray. Oh, God, help us to understand the value of this relationship. I'm not going any further. I feel the Holy Ghost right now is talking. You have your CCC action commitment slip. I I don't know if you filled it out or not, but I'd like for you, if you would, just lean forward. I want you to look at this and just give some thought to this, Lord. With your enablement, I can do all this. I could check all six points of this. You can check all six points without God, but I'll assure you, even if you bring your guest or teach your Bible study or whatever you do, it's not going to be profitable. After you fill this out, would you come up here, lay them on the altar, and then quietly find yourself a place to pray? Would you do that? I feel the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. Let's leave the altar open, area around the steps open here, so that we can turn in our commitment cards. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Oh, hallelujah. Try me, Set. Yeah.